Enrollment is open for Thomas's upcoming six-session live online course, Navigating the Levels of Trauma Healing. Explore how to work with the impacts of collective crises and challenges and learn tools to manage anxiety, overwhelm, and nervous system dysregulation during times of accelerated change and disruption. In this all-new curriculum, Thomas and expert guest speakers will engage in ecosystemic practices to collectively explore our resilience, agency, and capacity to stay present and find deeper meaning. Click the link in our show notes to learn more and enroll. Or go to www.navigatingthelevelsoftrauma.com. Welcome to Point of Relation with Thomas Hubel, a podcast that illuminates the path to collective healing at the intersection of science and mysticism. In his conversations with visionaries, innovators, artists, and healers, Thomas invites guests into a relational experience that allows inspiration and innovation to emerge. This is the point of relation. The following interview was recorded during a previous Collective Trauma Summit an online gathering convened annually by Thomas Hubel to share ideas and inspire action for healing, individual, ancestral, and collective trauma. Visit CollectiveTraumaSummit.com to listen to featured talks from our most recent summit and sign up to be the first to know when the next summit is announced. Rabbi Terza Firestone, PhD, is an author, Jungian psychotherapist, leader in the International Jewish Renewal Movement and a renowned Jewish scholar and teacher. Widely known for groundbreaking work on Kabbalah, depth psychology, intergenerational trauma healing, and the reintegration of the feminine wisdom tradition within Judaism, Rabbi Terza lectures and teaches internationally about spiritual and ancient wisdom practices that are honed to assist us at this critical time in world history. She is the author of the award-winning book, Wounds into Wisdom, Healing Intergenerational Jewish Trauma. Hello and welcome. My name is Thomas Hübel and I'm the convener of the Collective Trauma Summit. And I'm very delighted. I was looking forward to talk to you already for years. And so I'm, I'm very happy that you joined us, Rabbi Tirza, today to, this, to our conversation here. So warm welcome. Thank you so much, Thomas. I've been looking forward to this and, and following your work for, for several years now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. So, and I and I know we have many similarities in our work, although we never get to talk until now. So, and uh, and I'm here in 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 Tel Aviv, and you're uh, you know deeply immersed in 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 Jewish mysticism. So that's also something that I'm interested in. But maybe we keep that for later. And um, so maybe we start with what brought you originally to be interested in in trauma work intergenerational trauma work and and then maybe you, you tell us a little bit about intergenerational trauma sure sure just briefly i'll say that you know i i think all of our most passionate work is autobiographical and uh, my inquiry began with my family uh, coming out and trying to escape a, a kind of what I thought was just a crazy family. Um, it was only years later when I when I immersed myself in trauma psychology that I realized, oh my God, I was 
I was raised by trauma survivors. Uh, that's what that was all about. That neurosis, that uh, charge, that 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 constant um, intensity. Uh, my mother was uh, was born in Germany, and she escaped Nazi Germany in 1939, barely on the Kinder transport. And she never spoke of all the scores of cousins, uncles, and aunts that she had lost. Um, and my father was an American-born Jew, uh, assimilated Jew, who went to Germany. Actually, he was stationed in Germany in the U.S. Army in World War II and found himself in Bergen-Belsen, uh, not because he was a liberator, but during the liberation, the British were there, and he was in a platoon that was a bomb detection squad squadron, and so he was blown apart by the visuals, the unseeable visuals he took in. He also never spoke uh, as he raised, he and my mother raised the six of us and uh, never spoke of what they had gone through in World War II, but it was it infused everything. It came out in in their tempers and, you know, in their moods and their sporadic energy, their rigid politics, their crazy parenting. And uh, so, as I said, it was only many years later that I started to connect the dots. My father died and I literally read about his history in the war in his obituary. Um, and that's when it all came to you know, to fruition. I was in my 40s and I started to understand uh, that these things were deeply embedded in me and uh, and how it was utterly impossible to escape them, even though I had tried dearly and gone around the world and on, a, on an escapade and a spiritual odyssey. Uh, but here I was back again, reclaiming my Judaism in a different way. And also then, I'll, I'll give you one more piece, which perhaps directly links to you, Thomas, because you're there on the ground in Tel Aviv now. Um, to say that as a rabbi later on in my life, I became very active in uh, human rights and went, became a part of the uh, a, uh, a a beautiful a beautiful community. Uh, of Jews and rabbis, rabbis for human rights and Trua. Uh, these are human rights activists and, and spent much time in Israel and spent much time in the, in the occupied territories uh, in Palestine. And there, seeing what I saw, it's just all of a sudden, all kinds of insight explosions happened for me when I saw things that were throwbacks to Jewish history, like, but that Jews had recreated situations that were re, in a sense, reenactments uh, of our own history. We can go into that or not uh, later, but just to say that it was again, so strong. And in my book, I talk about how one of the most quizzical pieces of trauma residue is the the compulsion that, you know, what Freud talked about, the repetition compulsion to reenact our injuries on ourselves or on others as if to master them, uh, to find, to bring from the emotional history brain, the emotional brain to cognizance, uh, into cognition, into active uh, cortical 
understanding what we had gone through. So that was another piece and understanding that politics on the ground where I feel uh, so strongly connected to the politics working in even in human rights is impossible to make forward progress unless we're understanding the collective trauma body of our people. So in my sense, the Jewish people, uh, all the diasporic Jews who brought their history to that land and the Palestinian people who brought their profound history to that land and all of their injuries uh, together. It's really, we, we need to, to make forward progress. We need to understand the collective pain bodies, our, our respective pain bodies before we can actually make peace. Mm. Enough on that, but that's a little, a little thumbnail sketch. Yeah, of course. And, uh, and I want to underline something you said, like on the one end, you say without understanding collective trauma deeper, we can't make real progress on the politics. And I think that's very, I want to underline that sentence. I think that's very true. And, and we see it here every day, especially now in this, in this phase, uh, it's very obvious. And, um, and then I want to ask you to speak a little bit more because I think that's an important part. Like um, we see recurrent wars, we, we see recurrent violence, we see recurrent all kinds of abuse, domestic violence, uh, attachment traumatizations. So let's speak a little bit about uh, this repetition compulsion you spoke of, or how trauma reenacts itself and a bit more about this mechanism how can we understand? Because one could say, no, if I'm trauma, if somebody was traumatized, okay, they will do their best not to do or not to reenact it again. But obviously that's not true. So maybe you can speak a bit more about that, uh, that principle of the circular uh, quality. It's a circular quality. It's a, uh, it lives, it embeds itself in our unconscious. And one of my, uh, I would say my training is in Jungian psychology or and in the depth psychology or analytical psychology. It's also called uh, we understand that there are different there are different levels of the unconscious. There's the personal unconscious where our personal memory bank is and our our dreams, our personal dreams. But there's also the uh, the cultural or could even say tribal unconscious as well. Uh, that is even deeper. It's like a deeper stratum beneath us and in that stratum live our symbol systems live our 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 collective traumas as well as our collective narrative and our our collective psyche you might say our stories our uh, self-definition our narratives uh and in that place we have our also our our tribal traumas the things that we've gone through and that we I like to I like to use the word because it works, even though it's completely unscientific to say that there's a trauma body that lives within us from our people as well. Uh, and then, of course, and I know you go to this very deep level, Thomas, in your work, the collective unconscious, the the deeper human, the human strata, which underlines all of that, the, the deepest level of the of that well, uh, uh, that wellspring, which is. The collective collective unconscious, where human the humanities struggles, humanities push the push for the urgency is also we're feeling that as well. So I think um, one of the big surprises that I've uh, I'll just say this 
one more thing that that in in writing my book, the, my last book, uh, Wounds into Wisdom: Healing Intergenerational Jewish Trauma, I've started to teach that work that people from all over the world are uh, understanding now and feeling that that urgency, that push uh, to heal their own ethnicity, their own tribal traumas, if you will. And um, that that is a, in a sense, it's a, it's a coming from the collective unconscious now that we must deal with these, in a sense, the, the deaths that are coming due right now in this time period. It's such an ex mm -hmm. uh, exquisite and painful time in history and world history when the um the collective tale of our world is uh has like there's been a snowballing effect of centuries and centuries of pain that's been unmetabolized and it needs to be metabolized now so there there is like this i think why our work is is global is international because people from all over the world are feeling that urgency don't you think Absolutely, and I and I and I also see in many people. That's why we do the collective trauma summit, because there are so many people interested in this, and uh, and so many people resonate with collective trauma. It's it's something that sparks immediately like an interest for many people, and that's that's interesting that there is an intuitive understanding that it's important in this time. And I will come to some of the bigger crises that we are facing in a moment. But when we stay for a moment with the collective trauma, um, I think when we dial it back from the systemic aspect of trauma to the intergenerational trauma, I know you also work a lot with intergenerational trauma and your book is about it. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about, for our listeners to understand deeper, what's the mechanism when, when parts of our grandparents, great-grandparents, parents are traumatized, as you shared about your own um own experience so how how does trauma is that a psychological process meaning it's being transmitted through through education and parenting or is there are there other mechanisms that so how does how does intergenerational trauma work yeah i i am not a scientist i'm not even a scientific researcher but i do know just from my own study that there is this these uh uh, incredible uh, uh, loads that are transferred that that's through epigenetics that the, our genes record there is a, a, a epigenetic function epigenetics is on top of or above the genes themselves so genes our genetic structure is not changed but uh, the expression of our genes is changed so that means that um, the epigenetic mechanisms translate the stresses, the, the extreme dramas, the extreme uh, situations that we live through. Uh, they translate those messages from the world to the genes and change the gene functions. So that means that it could, um, these changes can manifest as chronic disease. They can uh, lower our resilience or greaten our resilience. They can lo lower our IQ. They can uh, increase our IQ or shorten our lifespan. So an example of that might be if my grandfather's wartime experience uh, is is recorded in his methylation and the the strands that are carried on top of the genes recorded that and that 
is transmitted to my father and that make make him more prone to PTSD if he fights in a war. By the way, the Israeli IDF knows all about this. Uh, they understand that that kids that are coming into the army who have profound they and they they know the family tree and they they study this. They're very very astute about this, uh, so that uh, children who come um, children you know young men and women who come with Holocaust or other extreme traumas from their backgrounds they know that they're going to be more inclined to PTSD and they are less put on the front lines. Uh, they they they're systematic about that. And um, so that translates in terms of my own resilience or my own propensity for uh, for PTSD, my own uh, ability to work with stress. The, the the good news in all of this that we're finding that that the scientists are finding, the research we're finding is that epigenetic changes, these epigenetic transmissions can be changed they can be reversed. And this is really important for all of us who are doing this work to know that, uh, and many of the traumatologists, the greats are, are, are sharing this right now, that they can be changed through awareness. And that's so exciting to me that, that bringing the light of awareness, when we bring our trauma transmissions to our cortical understanding, to our front brain, so to speak, uh, that uh, that our systems can literally change. So one actually uh, a beautiful. She was originally Israeli. Yeah, El Danieli. I don't know if you know her. Um, said that the awareness of these transmitted legacies and processes, these trauma processes, actually inhibits the transmission of future uh, pathology to succeeding generations. And that's that's profound. So there is an actual um, epigenetic uh, mechanism that happens that transmits itself. And um, when I take that and I look at uh, sort of biblical verses and also indigenous verses that that teach that the wounds of the fathers, the wounds of the ancestors, uh, will be remembered for three unto four generations. You know, there's Usually that's translated as the sins of the fathers are transmitted for three to four generations. Uh, the indigenous people here in this continent say up to seven generations. Uh, so that's that's profound. It's like the uh, the the ancestors understood that, that there is this imprint that we carry, that the generations will carry if we don't work, if we don't metabolize our wounds. And it's beautiful. And we are also running right now in the two-year training program uh, with 60 participants in epigenetic study that they go through a two-year pro program and they will see at the end of this year what's the, what's the change in the epigenetic profile. So that's, that's a very interesting work. Um, and so when you when you look at okay you you explain to us a little bit how how what are mechanisms and that's one mechanism there's also whole parenting and the psychological environment the cultural mm -hmm. environment and so what what can we do now because many people who listen right now will feel yeah but i also carry some transgenerational trauma as many people do so how What's your experience with uh, with healing uh, intergenerational trauma? 
Yeah. And, well, there's so many levels to hear that 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 um, that question. At first, at first on, uh, I would say that we simply can't do this work from a place of, uh, you know, alarm or dysregulation. Uh, we can't, we, we need to work, and I'm sure all of your people understand this too, in your trainings, that we need to uh, work on our nervous systems. So the kinds of, uh, we might say pain body, the kinds of charge, the activation that I feel when I'm under stress often has much to do with how I was raised. You could say uh, the, the nurturing, the, 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 family life that I grew up in, whatever the family life, whatever the home that I grew up in uh, gave me that kind of learning, but it's also embedded in my nervous system. I, I inherited that. It landed in me. And so to get um, clear about, oh, wow, that didn't even begin with me. That's something that my mother did. My grandmother did. That is that kind of activation or fear or anxiety, hyperarousal, or numbness, uh, or shame. All of these are trauma residues that are in the, in a sense, imprinted in our nervous systems. And also we learn it from just uh, as children. So uh, there's, I'm, I'm so grateful for the infusion of teachings and teachers like uh, that we grew up with, Thich Nhat Hanh of blessed memory or uh, the, the, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, Sharon Salzberg, all of these wonderful teachers that have given us teachings about taking, taking down our, our activation and, uh, and calming ourselves and uh, coming to a base level of, of quiet from that place, we can really start to do the work. And from that place, um, you know, I, I this, this is part of my research was to listen to many, many trauma survivors and find the common denominators, people that people that were really well, moral leaders and people who had taken their their tragedies and transmuted them really alchemized as a word that I like to use. They've really found the, the beauty, the gold in, in, in their suffering after doing the hard work of, of grieving. And so taking the common denominators of many, many families and individuals, and what are, what are, the, what are the, the things that we can do? And uh, the second half of my book is all about that. Uh, first of all, it's facing our losses, really facing our losses and grieving. And can you imagine like whole, whole, you know, if we did that at a collective level, really grieving our wounds. And, and that also means that word, again, the wounds, sins, the errors, the failures that we have gone through as, as uh, collective people, um, as groups, I, I'm thinking of um, the power of just having a little memory right now of uh, one of the governors of Colorado, uh, Governor John Hickenlooper. He's now in the he's now a senator, but he when he was a governor, he went to the site of uh, the Sand Creek Massacre here in just a couple of hours from from me here in the in Colorado, and 
This is a place where uh, a beautiful, very peaceful people were encamped. Uh, they had white flags flying. They were they were uh, they had been given a treaty by the by the American people that they would be safe. And boom, they were attacked and massacred. All the men, women, and children. This is a, a horror. And he, this is uh, two two hundred years later, went to this place and was the first apology, the first, the first brave enough white person who, a leader who would who stood there and uh, watching this was just incredible. How the Southern Arapaho people who had been massacred, the elders who were maybe not even born or were born with these stories, the elders, wizened, wrinkled elders. Tears in the men's faces just rolling down as this man simply made an apology. Just, just, just that apology and how that uh, was. Those words, not he didn't have to, no reparations, nothing like that, no promises, but just the acknowledgement of our failure as as um, the settlers of their land. Um, that much. So just facing our losses, facing our failures, leaning into that is so profound. And then, uh, and there, there are many others, uh, which I could talk on and on about, but I don't want to take too much of the time. I want to also hear from you. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Also, what you said right now, the apology, I think restoration and the relational restoration is such a key element of any kind of trauma healing. And that's a beautiful example. And also how this reverberates back in time, hundreds of years sometimes, and is so important. I think also let's, when we look at the States, how much, how much work needs to be done in order to deal with the current racism and the Native American genocide. And I think there's so much collective trauma work that needs to happen. Um, and you're doing you're doing that beautiful work there in Colorado and globally. So that's that's beautiful. And also, as you said, it it's 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 kind of universal. So you wrote your book, and then many people from around the world start uh, you yeah. know you and and want to do this work. And I think that's that's how it's that's what we need as a global healing movement. Right. And, and so, what are the like you do this work already for a long time. And so how, how do you see the, the healing outcome when people really do this work? Like what's your experience of what works, what doesn't work? And maybe if you, before you want to answer that question, if you want to do any or give us any practice afterwards to just for us to experience a bit sure. of the, uh, relaxation or down regulation, please. I'd love to. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's just take a moment right now. That's a good. That's a good prompt to just just getting into this and hearing these stories can activate so much. And uh, just feeling into the epigenetic loads that that each of us are carrying, and it's so beautiful. To me, this is the most holy work that we can do on the planet right now. I, I'm very moved by just being here and. Let's just take a moment right now, wherever we are listening to these words, to this conversation, to feel ourselves and, and uh, smooth out our breathing, slow it down a little bit. I like to uh, breathe when I feel activated in any sense, uh, just to breathe to a count of four, inhaling to a count of four, 
and exhaling to a count of four. There's a beautiful meditation I use just to cleanse myself after a day of, of work, of uh, imagining a little spark at my tailbone, a little spark of a laser beam, a star, spark of divine energy. And with my smoothed out, elongated breathing, raising that spark up the back of my spine, clearing the energy in my backbone. And at the top of the inhalation, just bringing it to my crown, holding it there for a microsecond, and then just letting it spill over like a waterfall over the front of me, just taking with it any stagnant or aroused energies, like a waterfall cleansing and purifying it. Let's just try that. So at this, at the tailbone, bringing that spark up on the next inhalation, holding it at the crown, and then just letting it spill over in 360 degrees, just imagining a beautiful cascade of breath energy, cleansing and purifying our field. And again, one last time. Relaxing into it and feeling the power of the breath and the power of uh, visualization to, to cleanse and to take us back to a base level. Yeah, so one of the things that has surprised me so much and I've learned um, over these past few years is uh, that I wasn't expecting it all. You know, there's the science and there's the understanding of the structure of the psyche and the deep levels. and But the, the let's see, how can I say it? The actual, the presence the presence of the ancestors and their desiring this work is actually that there are in the unseen realms, you know, we're taught to really be here and now in this world, but there are other many, many unseen dimensions and uh, focusing for our own health and, and well-being on the wise and well ancestors and, and how they are both from our own bloodlines and also historical figures are a part of that urgency that we were talking about earlier, part of the collective unconscious uh, uh, goading us and uh, encouraging us. And that's also, I think, part of what we feel. And, um, you know, in uh, Jewish mysticism and in also in Jewish theology, there's this uh, there's a, uh, this idea that coming into direct face-to-face, -face, we call it in Hebrew, it's nochahut, you know, presence uh, with the other. It's very Buberian. It's very much uh, from Martin Buber's philosophy that we come into presence with the other, like we are right now with, uh, that I am with you, Thomas, and you are with me. And that, and then a third thing emerges, then there's some healing power that emerges that's bigger than either one of us. It's the space between two 
to beings who are intentional. And uh, so that speaks uh, volumes about creating healing vessels, healing groups mm-hmm. that are doing this. There's like a synergy, it's like becomes like an alchemical vessel. Uh, groups of people doing this work is so powerful and it 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 uh, maximizes and synergizes each one of our individual ex- efforts. Uh, but also uh, what has been a, the biggest surprise for me has been coming face to face with the ancestors and uh, wise and well ancestors. There's also very unwell because we we leave this world often uh, if we have not been allowed to or haven't had tools to do our work. We leave this world with all of that, with those traumas, with with our unfinished stories we, that that has a a power to it and and that we feel that but when we connect with wise and well ancestors then there is their power their encouragement their guidance their blessings that we can we can receive and that can be used and so uh the biggest surprise i think of my work has been that that um entering into relationship with also with the uh, the unseen worlds can be very, very powerful, and that can become uh, an alchemy of its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. Also, like how beautifully you speak about the resources and the the healthy parts of our ancestors living in us and supporting us. This is very beautiful. And when you look at the, I mean, there are so many big kind of challenges that we face right now as as humanity. And um, when you look at, at climate change or inequality, racism, neocolonialism, I mean, they're, they're huge uh, and many more that I can't name now. Um, when we look at those through like the collective trauma lens or intergenerational slash collective trauma lens, um, how how do you first of all how do you see it related for example climate change and trauma like where do you see for example links here and then what do you think we can do you you started already sharing about groups coming together or building vessels as you called it this is beautiful and maybe there are other things that we can do in order to face this kind of global moment. Uh, you said it also, we are, we, are, we are called to integrate a lot of the accumulated traumas that we carry inside. Um, but maybe you can speak a little bit to that bigger space, that world space um, right now. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a place, you know, there have always been these enormous uh, challenges all through history, of course, and we're becoming more and more acutely aware of them, but we live in this very special moment and it's a heartbreaking, this heartbreaking moment at the cusp of, uh, of, we're living through catastrophe, but we're also living through at the cusp of, I think a tsunami of, of, uh, of change and, and I mean, in that, a, a tsunami of of AI changes, of uh, of 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 climate chaos. Uh, so, how do we even approach that? First of all, just what I said is kind of a, an activating, a dysregulating thing. And so, we have to come back to ourselves and find ourselves in the moment and and know that we are being helped, and know that we are being guided, and that they were not alone. 
we're not uh, isolated atoms in in history or in in the universe, but that we're there's huge uh, through time and space that we're we're being helped for all of us who are listening in. And I think here, for me, what's the most powerful when I teach in large groups, uh, and we have this large healing vessel, and we have the synergy of the healing vessels, and we have we're tapping into the ancestral dimension who can help us, the wise and well ancestors is to, um, well, my teacher, I'll say parenthetically here, just uh, my teacher, Rabbi Zalman, uh, Shalomi of blessed memory, always taught that uh, it's really not only delicious, but very important and necessary to take <laughs> with permission to borrow the wisdom traditions of each other's traditions. We can't do it on our own. I don't know that Judaism has what we need right now for uh, climate chaos, but if we, uh, with permission, ask the elders of the indigenous peoples around the world, they do, they do understand because they do, they haven't lost their connection to the earth like many of our cultures have. And so we borrow with permission, the nutrients It's like the, the vitamins that they, that they can provide. And, and many of, so in my, in my, uh, classes or my courses, I often uh, have people uh, take indigenous rituals and go out into nature, wherever you live. So you live in whatever continent you live in, in whatever place you live, that you go out and bless the land and listen, create a, create a healing circle, creating sacred hoops, step into them prayer circles and do the rituals that we've been given from uh, our indigenous ancestors or from our indigenous teachers. Uh, so you see, you know, all through we've been talking about using using the guidance of the wise people, uh, both ancestors and living, uh, to listen in to what nature is saying to us, what nature is needing from us, and infiltrate, take that take those wisdom bundles and infiltrate the culture as best we can because mm-hmm. uh, we're living with powers, corporate powers and governmental powers that are uh, exponentially growing. And what can people do? What can we do? What is happening at, for instance, in uh, you know, populist uh, uprisings, populist movements like you're living through right now and, until every Saturday night and uh, wherever we're living, there are groups, sacred uh, people who are alive and well and uh, activated in a good way to make change. Uh, So it has to do with, for me, getting quiet enough, getting calm enough, putting our ear to the ground with the guidance and blessings of of people that are wiser than us and have many centuries of of traditions of how to connect to but i do believe that the uh the guidance is coming from the earth itself herself i do believe in miracles i do believe in possibilities as my uh, my friend gabor mate always says uh, you know hope no but belief faith in in possibility is is really what we need right now 
No, that's powerful. And you also you also shared in your own words the beauty of sometimes we think individuals as these separate particles that need to manage in a big world, but you actually drew an image of, of us being completely interconnected with our ancestors, with the future generations, with the blessing of, of the wise ones, and with the, the, the there is blessing at all, because I think that's sometimes in the in the postmodern secular world we forgot about blessing and the, the the power of being blessed or blessing somebody and then that interconnectedness with nature because i think also i and you tell me how you look at this but i for me like the the, the level of collective trauma in our society is what we get born into when we come into this life carries already like the separation from certain aspects of our bodies and that's why we we live in this dualism as if we were kind of on the planet versus my body is millions of years of evolution yes. it is yes. the planet this is the planet what is this but water and right. and, and the minerals and and, and right. stuff and so we are we are nature, but often people when people go to nature, they say, "Oh, the native forest is around us, but nature is also in us. Like we are also right. nature." And, That's right. And I think that dualism is very interesting when we look at climate change. How we look at nature versus we sense we are part of it. And uh, yeah, maybe you can speak a little bit to that dualism, if or yeah. just. Because. I think it's exactly as you're saying, Thomas, look, li, you know, putting our ear to the ground. Another way to say that is listening inside mm -hmm. to the to the still small voice inside of us to the when we get calm enough and quiet enough to follow our dreams, our nighttime dreams, listen inside. We are absolutely I, I have total faith in this, that each one of us is connected to the world soul. Uh, to the anima mundi, we could say mm -hmm. that it lives inside of us. We call her in Hebrew and uh, Hebraic uh, mysticism, the Shekhinah, the indwelling divine uh, that is implanted in each one of us. And when we get quiet enough, uh, we can listen to exactly she speaks to us. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, what do I need to do next is actually, no, it's actually not to go out into the rally. It's actually to take care of my kid or to heal my fight with my husband or wife or uh, partner uh, to, to mend something here before I do this, or maybe it's not, maybe it's get your ass out into uh, the big city and, and, and have a sit in against the, the gun lobby, you know? <laughs> so each one of us is being given the exact, the, the exact yes, the exact next step if we can be calm enough to, to listen to it. So mm. it's, there is no dualism in a sense that earth is living inside of us, but, but, and the, we do need to listen to our elders and to our ancestors and to the, the people who have, uh, are, are clear and are uh, generating and have generated these wisdom traditions before us that are centuries old. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we could go on and on, but, it, you know, it might be fun. What do you think about just taking a moment for us and for our listeners both to to uh, to tune in to uh, the blessing, to the blessing? So could we take just a moment inside to do this, Thomas? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Lovely. Um, so coming back into our bodies, where, wherever we are, maybe even touching ourselves somewhere on our heart or in our belly or maybe our, our face, just to calm ourselves. 
down and smoothing out our breath for a moment. And as we slow down to just open to the possibility of an unseen world, the invisibles, the invisible world that is right here, right here, urging on Thomas and my conversation today and urging on each and every one of our work. And that invisible world lives inside of us and just beyond us and also among us, between us, as we generate it together and we tap it together. And as you breathe, the next couple of breaths, I want you to invite in, invite in the presence of a well and wise ancestor, someone from your bloodline or someone, perhaps a teacher who's on the other side, maybe even a historical figure someone who's well and wise, who you have an affinity for and who has an affinity for you. And suspend your disbelief right now. Just take that, that mind, that critical mind, and just uh, turn the volume down a little bit on that mind. We all have it. But to allow yourself to be surprised by who shows up. Just, if possible, just one ancestor, one person, one being from the other dimension. It could even be an animal. It might be a grandmother, grandfather, someone who you cherish and someone who cherishes you it could be a, a teacher for you. Who wants to come? And if you are seeing and feeling someone's presence right now, just notice their energy, their demeanor, their countenance. Take in their light, their smile, their presence. And go one step farther right now and in this brief little interlude, this encounter to open yourself with a question, open, ask, pose. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm holding now. Is there any blessing you have for me? And listen, just listen. Breathing. Might be a word or a phrase or just a feeling you get.
in breathing, trust what you're getting. Trust and record it in your mind, in your heart. And if nobody comes right now, don't worry. That will happen if you continue to ask. And with a gentle gesture of honor and thanks, give a bow or a namaste. And allow this being to recede for now. Just for now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Amitirta. This was beautiful. <laughs> so this was a lovely blessing for the end of well, like it's something that might seem like heavy sometimes when we talk about trauma. That was a beautiful blessing and uh, giving us some, also some kind of connection to the drive of life to continue to evolve and grow. And that's what I felt very strongly. So yeah. thank you so much. This is a pleasure. I was looking forward for us to speak. And uh, now I'm, I see so many parallels and so much resonance between us. So thank you. This was beautiful. I hope we can collaborate in any other form as I well. Hope so. I hope so. Blessings yeah. on you and your work and on this incredible community that you've, uh, that you've gathered to you. Mm, thank you. And blessings on you and for your work. Yeah. Be well. And thank you so much. Visit CollectorTraumaSummit.com to listen to more talks like this one and to sign up and be the first to know when the next Collector Trauma Summit is announced. Thanks for listening to Point of Relation with Thomas Hoover. Stay connected by visiting our website, pointofrelationpodcast.com, and by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review and share about us with your community on social media. Thank you. We appreciate your support.